0: Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable, board game content across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Scott Pease, the co-inventor of Snap Ships and the tabletop game version Snap Ships Tactics, which is already funded on Kickstarter. The Snap Ship technology lets players create unique miniature ships and then battle them. Scott Welcome to The bench. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is great having you. As I was just saying, uh, before we went on air, as soon as I saw this campaign, uh, right away, I was like, oh my God, this looks so cool. I got to get this guy <laughs> on the podcast and talk to him about it. So congrats on that. My gosh, you guys got to be very happy with uh, where you're at so far.
1: Yeah, things are going pretty well. It's uh, It's been a little bit of a roller coaster and, uh, <laughs> you know, like... All, the, the whole Kickstarter run is, is kind of new to me. This is is, yeah. is my first time in the rodeo. So um, I'm kind of trying to learn as we go and do everything I can to just you know keep punching, pushing and pumping and trying to get this thing to go as high as it can go.
0: Well, I'd say for your first go, uh, I'm going to put this in Canadian dollars because the only way I can see it, $207,000 on $84,000 uh, goal, and you still have 16 days to go. You're going to end up very happy at the end of this campaign. I am, uh, I'm quite certain of that. Um, when I was looking at your bio, uh, there's some stuff in there that just kind of piqued my interest, like your, your past in, in being in the video game industry. Uh, When did all that start?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, um, basically right out of college, um, I went straight into the video game industry as a designer and, uh, Uh, Got a job at Activision, worked my way up, and then uh, got connected with uh, Neversoft, which was a uh, a developer uh, down here in Los Angeles, and uh, uh, got this little game going called Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. And uh, (laughs) we uh, built the first Tony Hawk's uh, Pro Skater game and uh, did really well. And then we were just kind of off and running. And I went on basically a 20-year video game career where we worked on three billion dollar franchises is what they used to like to say between Tony Hawk, Guitar Hero and Call of Duty and then um, by about 2014 I was done. I kind of needed a break and so I retired from that and went looking for cool new things to do. So when you were design like what
0: like are you, you're programming or you're drawing or you're literally saying okay, this is how you know Tony Hawk's going to kind of kick off the half pipe and like what like what did that entail?
1: yeah so it's changed a lot so when i when i started um on the first tony hawk game the team size would be about 13 people um yeah. so my job was to run the team and kind of keep everyone organized and kind of decide what we we're going to do and work with tony and the pro skaters and trying to get everything figured out so that we could finish our game in a year ship it and hopefully you know it would be a success and we get to make another one that was that was the original goal yeah um and then you know The industry, that was uh, PlayStation 1, actually. So then (laughs) as we went through my career, things just kept growing and getting bigger and bigger. So by the time I was finished working on a Call of Duty game, our studio had about 125 people, and we could only make a third of a Call of Duty game. And we're working with two other studios and 550 people to ship this massive uh, game that just had to, you know, do bonkers to kind of earn back everything that we put into it.
0: Yeah. Well, which I'm sure with the size of Call of Duty now, uh, (laughs) I'm sure all the efforts that went into that were uh, well worth it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I got to tell you, it was working with that many people spread across those, that many locations, super difficult, super um, stressful. And uh, we had a really tight, tight timeline as well. Like the Call of Duties have to ship, pretty much every year and, yeah, uh, or at least they did back then. And, uh, so yeah, we had to build it fast.
0: How far out were you, would you be working? Would you be working like two years out or, or literally literally
1: like a year out? So when I started, we could rev a game in about a year. It wow. was tight, but we could do it. It could, it, you know, we'd start the next game as soon as the previous one finished mm. and then ship it a year later. Um, by the time I ended my uh, career, I think we took about 18 months on that last Call of Duty. And then after that, they started going to two and three year dev cycles because to get the quality up, you just need a whole lot of time um, Yeah, to, to produce everything. So, yeah.
0: That's crazy. And, and, and I just got to ask because I'm curious. So the, yeah. when you have these different teams working on it, are, is each team taking like a map or is like one team saying we're going to do the kind of like the story animatics in between and this other team is going to do maybe dungeons or like how do they how do they split this kind of stuff up
1: yeah it was uh you kind of split it up based on everyone's talents like which mm. teams are best suited to do which content so for example on the the one that we worked on call of duty ghosts uh our studio did a number of campaign levels we did some multiplayer maps and then we had a there was a third game mode in that game called extinction um uh, which was a co-op game mode where you fought against aliens and that was our baby and we did everything for that
0: that's crazy. Is there, is this like other industries where when you're doing it as a day job, you kind of want to get away from it when you get home? <laughs> like, are you kind of sick of video games now, or are you still kind of deep into the the love of uh, of digital gaming? It goes back
1: and forth, right? Like I, you know, I got into it because I love games. I still love games. Um, but um, it did get hard after like when we were cranking to actually make myself play video games but then that's where tabletop came in because tabletop was like an outlet for me we had a a funny funny enough we had a like a magic the gathering group Mm -hmm. at work and we would take breaks and and run tournaments at work and play face to face to kind of get away from the screens for a while and just mix things up so that was always super fun
0: i've talked to several people from the um the digital gaming industry uh, now in this podcast. And it seems fairly consistent where they'll say things like that. They'll say, you know what I needed, I needed something to kind of get away from the computer and do something more tactile. Um, as some have transitioned into the board game industry, um, you know, they talk about lead times, you know, how, you know, digital gaming to do one little piece is such a long lead time. There's so many people involved. And, you know, when you get into something more tactile, whether it be a toy or even, uh, you know, a, a tabletop game, it, you, you bring that back into something that's more manageable, right? And you can, you know, your development time is a lot shorter. You don't need as many people on the team. And it kind of allows you to get back into really the true love of that creation. Is that kind of how you felt about it as well? Oh,
1: absolutely. I mean, like, you know, in the early days when we had the small teams making video games, I could be hands-on. I could be doing yeah. maybe a little bit of scripting or I'd be doing designing doing a whole bunch of stuff. But then as things got bigger and bigger, you're just kind of like trying to keep the Titanic from running (laughs) into the iceberg, you know, (laughs) and, uh, and try to juggle everything and you do less and less hardcore design and create, you know, creative development and that kind of thing. So, so absolutely um, coming out of that and going, I mean, we are back, this is like back in indie mode, right? Like we're, we're doing hands-on stuff. We're kind of doing it all ourselves. And, uh, working with small teams and, uh, it's super refreshing.
0: When did the idea of snap ships, the toy, where did that first start? how that idea kind of germinate?
1: Yeah. So about, I, you know, I, like I said, I've been playing tabletop games all my life, love yeah. tabletop games, always dabbling in designing them, but never had time to work on them. Uh, so after I retired from video games about a year later, I just, I kind of always had this idea in the back of my head. I wanted to make a modular tabletop game where, you know, I mean, I think everyone wants to do it. Uh, and then you realize there are reasons why you can't do it. (laughs) It's too expensive in a lot of cases to actually do it, but I wanted to make a modular spaceship game, um, that can be played on the tabletop. So I started prototyping a bunch of things and called up my buddy, Jeff, uh, who was, uh, Kind of, uh, I had worked with him at NeverSoft. He was our motion capture director, and he was really into three D printing. So I said, Jeff, I'm using these like math cubes. Can you print me some little pieces that we could like connect in there, like some weapons and some wings and things like that? And he was like, Oh yeah, that sounds cool. So he went off and started three D printing things, and we just started iterating, iterating on the system, and we just kind of kept coming up with cool ideas on the way the connections could work. And and honestly, I think some of it was our 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 video game uh skill set coming back into play because we'd Mm. always had all these like create a character and create a skate park modes and all our other video games and now we're getting to actually work with physical components uh and get them to to all like connect together so we started doing that and we just it just took us down this crazy path of like trying to perfect a model building system that was i guess in some sense lego-like because it's made out of chunks but the but the blocks are a little bit bigger and, and super highly detailed. So they go together quick mm. and you can build things that although they are modular at their core, they don't look modular. Like the idea was always to have something on the tabletop that looked like it was just a, a bespoke model, but then you can break it all apart and reconfigure it into something different. So, uh, so we went kind of down that pathway and realized, or I realized trying to do that and perfect that and do a game and perfect that was just, it's like what we call in the the video game industry scope control. You got to kind of know your limits and know that like you're biting off too much. So kind of had to make a decision and decided to put the game part on ice and just really focus on the, on the model building first.
0: And then when you do, when, when you, what
1: year was it when you finally kind of had the models kind of figured out? So there were a number of years there where we were iterating on connections and, we actually started out with magnetic connections, mm. which is another, everyone thinks it's cool. And then you realize why no one does it <laughs> because <laughs> magnets are incredibly expensive and dangerous, which we found out once we started talking to some toy people who told us, yeah, yeah that's just never going to work. Um, but it really was cool because they ooh, they clicked together so great. But yeah. anyway, um, so yeah, we started showing the concept around and getting feedback from people are in the industry and they kept telling us, you know, you guys got to come up with an all plastic connection. And so iteration after iteration, after iteration. And then we finally came up with this, this concept of having um, a dual material connection. And I don't know if you've you've seen the snap cubes, but they have a a hard uh, ABS shell. And then Mm -hmm. inside they have a core that's like a softer material, almost like a rubberized material. And that allows them to connect together nice and cleanly and hold really tightly. And once we came up with that, we just, we 3D printed hundreds of pieces. And then, uh, we were talking to some toy companies, but I was just like, you know what, we just, we got to get this out there and see if anyone thinks this is cool. So that's when we kind of went through our maker fair period where we would go to maker fairs, throw out a giant bin of 3D pieces and see what people thought.
0: (laughs) Really? So to create when like when you're 3d printing i mean that's that's a lot of time right to create the kind of volume we are talking about to be able to come and just dump something on a table was this so did you guys have like several printers going like with your partner or how did that yeah, is it so, just kind of your <laughs> over time or
1: yeah so jeff jeff is the um the 3d printing guru he has a couple printers and yeah. he is he has mastered the art of printing things quickly and efficiently. And then I had a three D printer that was capable of printing that softer inner core, so I would print the cores, and Jeff would print the shells, and then Jeff would glue them all together. And we, like I said, I mean, it took, it took months and months and months, but we finally did have a bin of hundreds of pieces so that people could really mix and match and create their own stuff. And that's cool. Seeing seeing kids and adults get hands on with it at Maker Faire was just incredibly instructive. Like we could see exactly what pieces worked, what didn't work. And then we just keep iterating over and over again. And um, that's where at the Bay Area Maker Fair, Tested.com did a little story on us. That story kind of went around the internet. Some folks at Play Monster saw that story, Mm. called us up and said, hey, that thing looked pretty cool. You wanna come pitch to us? And so that's uh, kind of what we did.
0: And then you struck a deal essentially with uh, Play Monster?
1: Yeah. I mean, we went, uh, ended up flying to their headquarters in Wisconsin, meeting with the team. And uh, we met some folks there that kind of instantly sold us. I mean, they were old school toy uh, makers that uh, one of their guys went all the way back to the Kenner toys, um, Kenner awesome. Star Wars stuff, which oh, was yeah. just like, oh, that was awesome. And then they had a bunch of young designers that were just super into sci-fi and kind of could see the vision of what we were going for. And, um, we knew that they could pull it off. Like they could get this thing manufactured because that's, that's where we had no, absolutely no zero knowledge. I mean, yeah. like in terms of taking something into to, to a factory and tooling it and like the dual materials and all this complexity and all these modular parts, like it had to work right. Cause if that connection didn't work Yeah, it's all off. (laughs) Fall fall apart. Yeah, Yeah, totally.
0: And and then how long were they selling these toys for before you guys then pivoted into looking at the the tabletop version
1: of it? So the first kits came out in 2020, in late 2020, um, and then sort of expanded over 2021 and into we did... 22 kits in all. So there's 22 unique snapships SKUs that are they're that out there in the world and you can you can find them. Um but kind of about a year in um we started thinking about the game side a little bit and we're thinking about yeah, you know like to make this thing really sing. I mean, it's it's fantastic what you can build. Yeah. But there's a lot of people who want they don't want to just build, they want to build and then play with or do something active with what they built. And so that's where we were thinking we'd like to get those people into the snapships fold. How can we do that? We need to, we need to start thinking about that game concept again.
0: It's a pretty fast turnaround, even that like think 2020 and then, okay, now we've got the, uh, the, the kits, you know, game time, right. Let's get into the actual tabletop version like
1: that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a weird thing, right? Because you, so like, the kits came out in 2020, but we were actually done with them like in early 2020 because of the whole manufacturing lag, right? Like the stuff has to go over to China. has to get manufactured. It's got to come back. And like, it takes so long. You have to be done so early to bring something to market. And that was way different from the video game industry for me, right? Because we could finish a game literally a month before release. And since this digital, we just say, we're done. Out it goes. Yay. Everybody's collecting revenue. <laughs> it's yeah. all good. We're on to the next one. But with, you know, toys and board games, it's like, you got to factor in the whole production cycle and it takes so long to get things uh, to market. When they design the
0: the ships uh, and again, this is just curiosity. The kid in me kind of thinking about how this comes together. Is it somebody kind of clipping on components to make something or do you guys start off with like the finished image of what a ship should look like and then work backwards to what the components are that are going to, make that up
1: it's it's uh both at once actually because um i'd say my and jeff's focus is always on the system like we're yeah. we're very much about trying to make sure every piece um works well together and then on the play monster side the designers over there were very interested in making kits that had an incredible silhouette uh on the box right and looked yeah. uh, desirable so it was trying to mesh those two things together and so I mean, they did a lot of the heavy lifting on the on the individual piece design, mm-hmm. but the goal was every time you add a Snapchips kit to your collection, you're getting a whole set outside of the core blocks. You're getting a whole set of bespoke unique pieces and they all work together and they all mix and match. So that was our, our goal was to make sure that there are very few repeats, if any, and uh, everything, you know, could be, mixed and matched so that you can create really cool and unique things. And that's what we're seeing with the fan base. I mean, the fan base, the the folks that have embraced snapships, their builds are insane and they're beyond what we even thought was possible with the system that we (laughs) originally uh, designed.
0: Is there a, um, uh, like a a maker community out there that creates custom pieces yet? Is that happening where people are starting to 3d print their own
1: pieces to, to connect to your kit or. We haven't seen that yet. I mean, there's been, you know, here and there are some folks print pieces. Um, the kind of amazing magical thing about Snapchips is because it has that soft inner core, Yeah, you can just print a piece with a peg on it, stick it in there and it will it will hold. Yeah. So, um, you know, I expect, you know, maybe with the rise in popularity of the game, we'll see more of that. Uh, we're releasing um, some... STL files for the, uh, as part of the campaign here and there, cool. um, which will hopefully, you know, promote a little more 3d printing and a little more of, of people, um, you know, mixing and matching things. So we'll see.
0: That'd be pretty cool. I can imagine like five years from now, you're at some fair and somebody brings you up some just amazing model they've made that has your core kit and just custom pieces that they just let their imagination run. wild. That's got to be kind of awesome. That'd be be super
1: awesome. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So talk to us about the game. How do people play this uh this game? And first of all, I just want to say congrats to Mess, uh, you know, Mesa Labs, David Diaz, he's been on the podcast. He did the video. If anybody after this go to the page at the very least and check out the video, this is one of the craziest um Kickstarter videos I think I've I've seen. So congrats to the very talented uh, David Diaz from uh, Mesa Labs. He did amazing on that video. Walk us through how do you play snap ship tactics
1: yeah so the the tabletop game is obviously based on based on the kits um you're going to start by building your own little custom ship out of the snap ships pieces uh you can build a preset ship where we give you instructions on how to build it or you can totally freestyle your own ship uh you know with very few limitations uh put on you then you're going to collect a bunch of cards that match up with the components that are on your ship so you you have a little control panel and that gives you a menu of sort of the different things that your ship can do based on how yeah. you've, uh, equipped it. Uh, and then, um, basically the, the game functions kind of similar to like an X-wing and that you're playing on an open battlefield, you're kind of playing a, a skirmish game. And so you're, you're doing ruler-based, uh, movement across the, the, uh, the terrain really quickly, uh, to get into position and take shots at your enemy and see if you can take them down. And, um, The game, uh, you know, you can play, it's designed at its core to be played versus, you know, like a competitive game. We've also got a uh, super cool AI system built into it. So you can play solo or co-op against AI ships that you build and go up against as well. So if you don't have opponents or you just want to, you know, play with your kids, you can set that all up and have a tabletop battle. It's pretty cool.
0: And how does the... um how does that work? Is it like an autonomous deck or how does the solo version work?
1: Yeah. So there's a, um, a four card deck for each unit and it has, yeah, like kind of a logic tree on it in yeah. terms of like, it takes a look at like where you are relative to it and it makes decisions on how it should move and how it should shoot. Should it close? Should it try to like ram you? Should it try to get behind you? And, um, it's designed by our lead designer, Josh Dirksen, who comes from a co-op gaming background. He designed Mm. um, a fan-made campaign for X-Wing called Heroes of the Aturi Cluster, which is an amazing piece of work. And if anyone's in X-Wing, they probably know about it. And if they don't, they should check it out. Uh, Turns X-Wing into a whole co-op campaign that you can play
0: uh, with
1: AI-driven opponents. So Josh was able to like take all of his learnings from that, which he built many years ago and apply them to Snapship's Tactics. And the fact that we met Josh, that's a whole story in and of itself. That's, that's pretty cool and amazing.
0: Yeah. When I was, and one thing I have on the screen here for people that are, uh, that are watching either on the replay or live, um, the tray that you have that you set the cards into, I think it's pretty cool where every single card represents a piece on your ship. If you are able to knock out, I guess that piece off the person's ship, I mean, you can flip the card over, but you can also physically yank the piece off the, off the <laughs> ship and
1: throw it down on the table too. Right. You could do that. Yeah. We've, uh, <laughs> it's been fun watching people play with the system and, and make their, their videos and stuff. And we yeah. see a lot of that. Like people just want to, once they destroy the ship, they just want to tear it all apart and put the debris all over the tabletop. <laughs> Are you able to repair your ships in,
0: in this, in this game at all? Like if somebody takes out one of the components of your ship, like your guns, can you, can you repair them or?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, but it, it is down for at least a turn. So okay, there's a, what you're playing with your control panel is kind of a little resource management game. You have these little power cubes that your ship generates each turn and you spend them to do different actions, but you only get a certain number of them back every turn. So you mm-hmm. kind of have to balance. Am I going to like push my ship to the limit or am I going to kind of hold some power and reserve for the next turn? Um, so if one of your pieces goes down, you're going to have to spend some power to fix it back up and that's going to take it offline. And that can be a really tactically satisfying um mechanic because you know you get behind your enemy you get in his six and then you shoot him and you get to choose which uh part you take out when you get a critical hit so you might want to take out his gun so he can't shoot back but if you're behind him maybe you take out his uh, maneuvering fins so he can't turn and you can stay locked in his six so there's there's a lot of fun stuff uh going on with that but yeah i I think it was board game co i
0: was watching uh, alex radcliffe's um uh preview review of 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 the game and he was talking about what he thought was cool is how the ships are are constantly drifting mhm too where he thought so it's not like it's even static and if you can again these things that kind of keep your ship going if you can kind of knock out the stabilizers um it, it can make it very tough for your opponent to avoid now your counter shots and things like this right
1: yeah absolutely the all the ships uh, at the start of their turn they have to make a movement and it's it's funny it's it's a simple movement, but it's it's funny how often you almost forget about the fact that you have to do that at the beginning of your turn, and it messes up the geometry of what you're, you're actually trying to do. So that's a, a skill that you get better at as you play the game. And over time, you can adapt and get kind of, you know, fly like a, a Top Gun pilot and really outmaneuver your opponent. Can you talk to us just quickly about the
0: different uh, pledge levels? So I know there's like the basic kind of 1v1 uh, package you get, which is, uh, I guess, the, the cheapest package. And it goes all the way up to like the holy crap package, right? Can you, can you explain yeah. what you're getting in these
1: different packages? Yeah, yeah, sure. So the base pledge level is a $99 uh, starter box. It's got two ships worth of components plus a bunch of components that we made that are unique to the game that you can't get anywhere else. It's like over 90 something plastic pieces um, that you can uh, mess with. And then all the stuff that you need to play the game, two stands, terrain, tokens, rulers, all dice, all rulebook, everything. So that'll get you going 1v1. And then on top of that, it's kind of, we have pledge levels, like we have a a squadron pledge level where we add a bunch of ships and we add some more stands so you can play 3v3 and we go even beyond that. But honestly, you can kind of configure your pledge any way you want. You can just start with the starter box and then just add in a few kits um, and a couple of stands or go all the way up. And the existing snapshot kits that are supported by the game uh, if you already own some of those, you can just get card packs and uh, oh, cool. as an add-on to your pledge and use your existing kits in the game. So we don't want you to have to rebuy stuff again or anything like that. So if you're getting the full Monty,
0: how many, how many, how many ships are you getting and how many uh, pieces? It's
1: several hundred pieces. It is, let's see, in the starter box, two, four, six, eight ships, I think. Um, four, eight stands. So you could. You could play a 4B4, but you're going to need a lot of room to do that. Sure. <laughs> and then you get a whole bunch of these uh, those custom consoles you were talking about. These um, We made some little plastic uh, card holders that kind of, they actually snap together to make a, a little control panel for each ship. Yeah, and they kind of whole. hold all your cards in place within yeah. your cubes and keep everything organized. It's really cool.
0: So and I just want to say too, because you're saying like if you have enough room, but I mean technically you don't even you don't have to use the mat, right? Like you can Correct, yeah play on your floor if you want it, right? If you, you can absolutely,
1: like- absolutely. Yeah, it just it's uh it requires open space. Um yeah. we recommend like a three by three area, can be a tabletop, can be a mat, can just be like you said, on your floor. Uh you just kind of you know map out boundaries. You can make it yeah. wider if you want, deeper if you want. It's kind of up to you. And then we have these terrain tiles that we that are things like ice clouds and asteroids that you place to kind of fill up the uh the battle space and then those have really interesting effects when you overlap them by moving into them
0: no it's crazy it's so awesome to see like like and i something that started as an idea right back 2014 it was like ah you know i'm gonna try to do something different and see how it's manifested into really this kind of universe you guys have created it's it's just so cool especially when you see these pieces coming together where does it go from here? So you've got, you had the toys and then you got, you've got the game, right? So is there more games you guys are working on more ships? Like what's kind of the path forward for you guys?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean the, the game, so this Kickstarter to me feels massive because it's the first one I've done and there's so much stuff in it. Yeah. And yet it's really only scratching the surface of what Snapship's kits are out there. Um, we've got a ton of awesome kits all with unique bespoke pieces that are just crying to come into the game at some point. But again, we had to kind of scope it down and like get the foundation right before we added on all the extra stuff. So you can expect to see, you know, new units and new kits coming into the fold. And then obviously Josh, as a designer, one of his areas of expertise is campaign play, things like that. So you can expect that we'll be looking in that direction going forward.
0: Even the tech, I would believe could be transitions even to other kind of themes like like mechs as <laughs> an example right you can do an entire yeah. like this <laughs> like that one there we are right there <laughs> yeah that is awesome like because when i was watching the play i'm thinking it took me right back into why as a kid and i used to play uh play uh battle tech yeah and uh and just the way the cards work and the components and pulling pieces off and Man, I I could, this, I mean, the world is really your oyster in terms of how far your imagination can take this, right? Once you have kind of that core technology, you can literally take it anywhere.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we've, and we've tried to think of that from the get-go too, like to kind of know where we're going and make sure that the core system is kind of set up to handle that so that when we get there, it's all going to kind of operate smoothly together. Oh, That's
0: awesome. Well, for anybody that wants to check out this campaign, uh, there is 16 days to go. I will put a link in the show notes. Uh, if people want to follow you on social media, is it at snapships?
1: Is that how they they find yep, you? At, app snapships everywhere. We've got discord, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube channel We're streaming on Twitch tonight. So yeah, that's come awesome. hang out. <laughs> awesome. Fantastic. Scott, I want to wish you all the best on this campaign. Congrats
0: once again. And when you're ready with that Mech version, let's get you back on the podcast absolutely (laughs) take care (laughs) cheers all right thanks this has been an episode of the board game binge podcast hosted by james staley produced by james staley and mike bruner with original music by nick smith if you'd like to watch these interviews live simply subscribe to our youtube channel board game binge and you'll get access to live interviews giveaways and interesting board game content from across the industry i can't wait for you to join us See you next time.